Now, don't get me wrong, creativity is a superpower, but it's a superpower possessed by all human beings. Hi, I'm Michael C. Patterson, your host for the MindRamp podcast. In this episode, we continue with the series on the MAPS method, M-A-P-S, which is a roadmap for turning good intentions into action. MAPS stands for Motivation, Assessments, Planning, and Skills for Sustainability. It's a step-by-step system to identify habits and routines that put your brain and mind at risk, and then to replace them with brain-healthy habits. We are into the skills section, the S of the MAPS acronym. In this episode, we will introduce you to a tool that will help you ramp up your creativity skills. Yes, creativity is a skill, and it can be learned, and it can be improved. I know that creativity is often cloaked in an aura of mystery and mysticism. Creative people, or people who claim to be creative, often describe their ability to create as somehow, oh, finding a connection with their muse, or channeling a special gift of the gods. Somewhat more down-to-earth, but not much more helpful, is the idea that to be creative you need to return to childhood innocence and simply allow yourself to play. Stop being so uptight. Just let go. Let your creative juices flow. These descriptions of creativity may help to brand artists as special people, but they do nothing to really help us figure out what we can do to enhance our own creativity. And don't get me wrong, creativity is a superpower. But it's a superpower possessed by all human beings. There's nothing magical or supernatural about it. Creativity is a unique and powerful cognitive ability that has grown to high levels of sophistication through natural evolutionary processes in the human mind. We all possess the ability to be creative. Creativity is hardwired into the architecture of the human brain. Some people make better use of their creative abilities than others, but each one of you is creative, and you have the ability to ramp up your creative skills as you work on developing new, brain-healthy habits and routines. I should point out that people make a distinction between big C and little c creativity. Often when people discuss the nature of creativity and innovation, they describe extraordinary achievements performed by people who are considered geniuses. That's big C creativity. That's painting like Picasso or Rembrandt. That's innovating like da Vinci or Elon Musk. We will be dealing with little c creativity, which is the kind of creativity that the rest of us engage in on a daily basis when we uh, use whatever we find in the refrigerator to throw together a tasty meal or capture a really cool photo of our children. We all use little c creativity when we figure out how to solve daily problems. And we will be using little c creativity when we come up with creative ideas for cultivating new habits and adopting brain-healthy lifestyles. And in this episode, we're going to introduce you to a MindRamp tool that will help you to understand and gain more control over your creative process. We should start by defining what we mean by creativity. When you are creative, you bring something new and useful into your mind. 
and then possibly into the world. The two important components are novelty, something new, and utility, which means the new idea serves some practical purpose. Newness or novelty by itself is not sufficient to qualify as creative. The new idea must provide some benefit. So the foundational components of creativity are novelty and utility. For the most part, our brains operate automatically and unconsciously. Our body and brain run on well-rehearsed routines that have proven to be successful in the past. Each time we run a familiar routine, the same neural network is activated, and it follows a predictable path. To create something new, we have to break out of these patterns and forge new neural connections, new pathways, new patterns of connected activations. I think it's important to note that utility and usefulness arises when we are able to turn new ideas into useful routines. So I believe that creativity is a dynamic interplay between novelty and routine. Behaviors, skills, learning strategies become useful when they are converted into a useful routine, a procedure that the mind can remember and duplicate with accuracy and with predictable results. So on one level, the creative process toggles from routine to novelty and then back to routine. When an old routine isn't working well anymore, we use our creative powers to make changes and to develop a new and improved routine, one that serves us better. As I said earlier, we function efficiently because we have learned and practiced a broad array of behavioral routines and lifestyle habits. The more routines we have at our disposal, the more creative we can be in our behavior. The more ways we have of doing things, the more routines, the more behavioral options we have at our disposal, which is more creative. Behavior change is essentially a process of replacing faulty and obsolete habits and routines with new and improved ones. To make these changes, we need to rewire our brains. We need to decouple our brains from the original neural networks that were established to drive the original behaviors and replace them with newly forged networked connections. And as I've said in other podcasts, the most effective approach seems to involve putting most of our energy into the creation of the new and improved routine. We need to rehearse the new neural networks until they become stronger and more sensitive than the ones we're trying to replace. So if we want to stop the routine of eating a donut every morning before work, for example, it's ineffective to start chanting, don't eat a donut, don't eat a donut, don't eat a donut. I mean, that just triggers the donut-eating neural network, makes it stronger, and then we want to eat a donut. We need to find an attractive alternative to that, such as, oh, drink a delicious and healthy mango smoothie. Yeah. Drink a delicious and healthy mango smoothie. Much of the process of mental management involves learning to recognize the automatic and largely unconscious routines that run our behaviors. By bringing them into conscious awareness, we can begin to diminish their power over us. We can decide not to obey their dictates. 
The same goes for mental habits and thinking routines. As we become aware of the stories that we tell ourselves, we can begin to figure out how those stories are making us feel and, and whether they're helping us or hurting us. And if our thinking routines are hurting us, we can, and probably should, replace them with a new narrative that makes us stronger and more resilient and happier. And each time we replace a faulty routine with an improved one, we get a smidgen smarter, a smidgen healthier, a little bit happier. There are basically three ways to study creativity. We can focus on people, product, or process. We can explore what makes one person more creative than another, or we can explore why one product or idea is considered more creative than another. And then finally, we can examine the creative process itself. What is it that creative people actually do when they create ideas and products that are deemed to be creative. It's this third approach that we find most useful in terms of finding ways to ramp up our own creativity. So let's take a look at what creative people have had to say about their creative process. Serious students of creativity recognize that the act of creation is a complex process comprised of multiple interlocked phases. Each phase requires the use of a different set of cognitive tools. As complex as a creative activity can be, creativity is still a craft that can be studied, learned, and mastered. An important step in learning the craft of creativity is to identify the discrete phases and stages of the process in order to recognize that each phase requires the use of a different cognitive skill. Building on the work of previous theorists, MindRamp suggests a nine-part creative process that we call the creative cycle. Let me explain how we developed this model of the creative process. German physicist and physician Hermann Helmholst got the ball rolling in the late 19th century. He identified three specific stages of the creative process that he recognized in his own scientific work. He called the first stage the saturation stage. This was the research stage when the creative person behaves like a sponge and saturates himself or herself with information and skills relevant to the topic in question. Helmholtz also recognized a curious phase that involved a certain detachment. The second phase was the mulling over stage he called incubation. This is the time when Helmholtz stepped away from the problem and turned his conscious attention to other tasks. This rest period gave his unconscious mind time to work on the problem without interference from conscious control. His final phase was the illumination stage. By George, I've got it! This is that magical moment prized by creators when a solution presents itself out of the blue. This is the stage that actually gets the most press. In fact, it's often, I think mistakenly, considered to be the essence of creativity. Helmholtz recognized, however, that the solution arises not out of the blue, but as the result of thinking that has occurred during the saturation and incubation phases. 
And then in 1908, the French mathematician Henri Poincaré suggested a fourth stage that he called verification. Poincaré recognized the importance of testing and evaluation. This stage recognized that the Eureka insight, as seductive and exciting as it may seem in the moment, often is wrong and unworkable. The Eureka insight needs to be checked for error and tested for usefulness. At this point, the history of the creative process becomes less clear. I've read accounts that ascribe the development of the next phase to two different sources. One account has it that Graham Wallace, uh, who lived between 1858 and 1932, suggested that there was an important preparation phase that got the whole process rolling. The second account ascribes this suggestion to an American psychologist, Jacob Getzels, who in the early 1960s recognized that the creative process begins with what he described as, quote, finding or formulating, end quote. American psychologist George Neller is credited with dubbing this initial phase first insight. I prefer to call it the initiation phase. So, combining these suggested phases, past students of creativity have come up with a five-step process that runs as follows. Initiation, saturation, incubation, illumination, verification. This is a solid foundation, but from our point of view, it doesn't fully describe the range of activities that make up the entire creative process. A few important steps are still missing. The early list doesn't really address conscious generation and manipulation of new ideas, and we think it should. Further, new ideas don't really become useful, as we said, until they're made manifest and implemented. Oddly enough, this step of putting ideas into action was overlooked. And finally, creativity also involves not just verification or evaluation, but also ongoing adjustments and refinements in response to those evaluations. So MindRamp designed a nine-part model for the creative process that we call the creative cycle. The word cycle indicates the cyclical nature of creative activities. Working through the stages of the creative cycle is usually not an end to the story, the success or failure of a new idea almost inevitably and invariably leads to new questions, new problems, and consequently to the initiation of yet another creative cycle. This is what makes creativity so much fun. It's a perpetual curiosity machine, keeps generating new and intriguing questions that need to be explored. So MindRamp's creative cycle ends up with nine stages that we group into four major phases. The first major phase is imagination, and it includes the initiation and the saturation stages. Next comes an idea generation phase that includes three stages, manipulation, incubation, and illumination. The implementation phase follows, and it includes manifestation and implementation of the idea, and then the creative cycle concludes with a verification stage in which the results of the implementation are evaluated and adjusted. I recognize that these phases and stages are a bit difficult to visualize and remember when just hearing about them. 
I suggest that you go to the free resources section of the MindRamp website at www.mindramp.org, M-I-N-D-R-A-M-P.org, and find the graphic representation of the MindRamp creative cycle. Then, tune into the next podcast, and we will describe each step of the creative cycle in more detail and give you some ideas on how to use this tool to ramp up your own creativity. And remember that anytime you want to go deeper into the creative process, or any of the topics that we introduce in these podcasts, you can always contact us and we'll figure out the best and most efficient way to address your needs. Thanks for listening and for being concerned about brain health and mental management.